If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. If you can use the Bible there in the pew rack, that's page 1088. 1088, it'll be up on the screen as well. Um, we're going to look at Acts, Acts 2 to see how God empowered the apostles and disciples to uh, begin their witness in Jerusalem. It's where Jesus said that they were going to start to witness and we're going to look at that this morning. During this series, though, uh, it's really tempting for me to get into the weeds, as it were, or get into the street view uh, of Google, if you want to put it that way, because there's a lot of uh, theological and doctrinal things that take place, and people want to kind of dive into that. But we're going to try to take a Google Earth view of Acts as we work through this uh, book over the next several weeks and just look at some of the main events, main things that took place that motivated and moved uh, the disciples to move the gospel through the world. And um, so if you want to get into some more of those little details that you might be aware of, feel free to call me, talk to me, shoot me an email, whatever. We can certainly talk about those things, but we're going to do more of a, like I said, more of a Google Earth view, kind of a 30,000 foot uh, look at, at Acts, looking at some of the top things. Last week we saw that to be an effective witness for Christ, to keep the resurrection story moving, becoming viral, to going through the earth, we needed to encounter the resurrected Jesus. And uh, for the disciples, they had Jesus himself with them. Obviously, for over three years, they were together. We saw towards the end there, before he went to heaven, that, uh, that he spent uh, around 40 days or so just kind of confirming and bringing all that teaching to a point and then he gives them the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives them complete understanding. And then that understanding brought the necessary change of thinking, change of heart, motivated them, and gave them the courage to take this message from Jesus to the world. And so for us today, that means that we spend time with Jesus, which that's what God's Word's all about, that's what the Bible's all about. So we spend time in the Word, we spend time reading it, studying it, getting to know it, Again, we do that on Sunday mornings, we do it on Thursday nights, but for you to do it in your homes, um, one of the things I want to do on Thursday nights is to help you understand how to do that so you can do that on your own. And then when the Holy Spirit who lives in us, those of us who have given our lives to Christ, His Holy Spirit then gives us understanding. And like the disciples, when we have that understanding, that should then motivate us, that should encourage us, that should give us the courage necessary to go out and share Christ. It will do that if we allow it to do that. That's kind of the cool thing that it's, it's something that's going to happen. If you spend time with Christ in His Word and you allow the Holy Spirit to teach you, there's going to be a change. We'll talk about that a little bit later on this morning, but there's going to be a change in your heart and your mind. It's going to happen. It's a spiritual thing. God does that in us. And then we will be witnesses for Him in our world. Well, today we want to look at the need for us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and as we interact with those who need Christ. And we're going to look at what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, how do I receive His power, and how does He help me witness. Um, so, if you're in Acts 2, follow along with me as I read verses 1 through 4. Again, it'll be up on the screen as well. So, any way you're looking at it, you're going to see it. It says this, verse 1, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, talking about the disciples. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, I'm using the word empowered. Luke uses the word filled, but basically it's the same idea. Filled is the same as being empowered. It literally means to be filled up or to swell up with. I didn't have this in my notes. I thought about sharing it. I'm going to share it. It may be a bad illustration, but uh, if it does, just forgive me. But everybody see the movie The Hulk? Remember when you were a little kid, maybe watch TV show The Hulk, right? And uh, so residing inside of Bill Bixby, wasn't that the guy's name in the TV show? Um, some of you kids are like, what? Um, there's a TV show before there was the movies. Anyway, so you have David Banner, and he's walking around. Nobody knows that inside of David Banner is a monster, is a Hulk. And he says, at least Bill Bixby would always say, you don't want to get me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. He always said that. You know, I thought that was so cool. <laughs> Little wimp saying that. And all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden, this massive green monster comes out and destroys everything around him. Now, in order to make this a good illustration, think of the world as Satan, okay? And he destroys everything around him. He's destroying Satan. Okay, we good? You got tracking with me the positive side of this? Okay, good. Because this could go in a negative direction. But the point is, kind of like David Banner, the fictional guy, who has this power inside of him that nobody knows about until he allows it. We find out, by the way, in one of the last movies that's been recently out, that he can control it. So, so this works. So, you know, he, he can allow it to come out and do its work. It, it's kind of like that with the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, the Holy Spirit lives in us, he resides in us, and we allow that his power, him, to come out in us to do whatever it is he calls us to do. We don't come, become green, we don't get really huge, uh, we just might do huge things, you know, in the name of Christ. So where baptism in the Holy Spirit is that one-time work of Christ in our life when we come to salvation, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, is kind of what I was talking about with the Hulk, uh, he indwells us, he's there, he's permanently indwelling us, and again, we've talked a little bit about what his work is, empowering us, sealing us, guaranteeing our entrance into heaven one day. Being filled as you studied out in Scripture, is something that seems to happen over and over. It's something that we've got to keep going back to, keep on remembering, keep on having in our lives. For instance, Acts 2, uh, we see here that he, the Holy Spirit gave them or filled them, empowered them to speak in other tongues or in other languages that they didn't previously know. Acts 4.8, Peter was filled or empowered by the Spirit to respond to the religious leaders. Acts 13, Paul was filled or empowered by the Spirit to confront a false prophet. If you would go over to Ephesians 5, you don't need to go there, it'll be up on the screen. But Ephesians 5, 18 says, it's a command that God gives us through Paul, don't, be, don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it's something that we are commanded to do, something that we're supposed to allow the Holy Spirit to do in us. And it's interesting because about 10 times this word filled with the Holy Spirit is used in the New Testament. Each time it's in what they call a passive voice. And the passive voice, anybody, anybody into grammar and English? What's the passive voice mean? Yeah, it's, it's not something that I actively do. 
but it's something that I allow to have happen to me. So it's in a passive voice. In Ephesians, this idea is in the present passive, which means that it's something that has to continue to happen over and over again. All right, so again, baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, He's there, He resides in us, then we need to kind of step aside and let the Holy Spirit give us power to do whatever it is God is calling us to do. It's not something we psych ourselves up for. It's not something that we initiate through our own power. I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. Okay, little train that could. It's not a robot, not a zombie, but literally a partnership with the Holy Spirit to empower us and give us what we need to do. So the disciples, through their obedience and worship, allowed themselves to be empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit to accomplish the work that he had for them. And we see this back in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, these, again talking about the disciples and the apostles, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they, when Jesus told them to go back to Jerusalem and wait for whatever it is that God was going to send to them, the Holy Spirit and his power, they, they went back in one mind, continually devoting themselves to prayer. If you were go, to go back to John, John tells us, um, or Luke, uh, Luke tells us, Luke 24, that they went back and they were praising and worshiping God. So they had this sense of, hey, we understand what Jesus is calling us to do. We're excited about it. We're ready to do this. We're going to go back and we're going to do what Jesus did. It's, it's pretty interesting. Um, something just kind of hit me this, this week as I was studying this. The disciples did what Jesus would have done. If you read through the Gospels and you see what Jesus do, it's interesting. Between, between each of the big events that Jesus is involved in, the big miracles, you'll see that he goes, he does something real big, the crowds gather, he goes away. He goes away to pray and to worship and to spend time with God the Father. And then he comes back, boom, another big thing happens. And then he goes away and he prays, he spends time with the Father. And then boom, something big happens. He, just, he constantly goes away, spends time with God, gets rejuvenated, the Holy Spirit ministers to him. And if you come on Thursday nights, you can understand a little bit more about how that works. Jesus, God, Jesus being empowered by the Holy Spirit. See, Thursday nights, important place to be. So they did the same thing. They were obedient to what Christ called them to do. They went back, they were worshiping God, they were praying together, getting themselves ready for whatever it was that God has for them, that Christ had for them. And the same is true with us. We spend time with Jesus and His Word, his Holy Spirit gives us understanding. And then we begin to act more and more like Jesus. Paul talks about in Romans 12 this way. And he says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Okay, so that's what Jesus did, right? When he was on earth, he was giving himself as a living sacrifice. He walked through life, he sacrificed, he went to the cross ultimately which is acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. It's a lot easier to read up on the screen than it is to read down here in my Bible, so I decided I'm going to do that if you don't mind seeing the back of my head. But this idea that our, we have renewed minds which happens when we spend time in God's Word, 
And that renewal of our minds transforms our lives, changes the way we live our lives. And so, like the disciples, like Jesus, we're going to want to be obedient to God the Father. We're going to want to sacrifice ourselves in order to draw people to Christ. Like Jesus, we'll begin to see people from a spiritual perspective and ask him to help us how to impact their lives the way he wants to impact them. It's no longer going to be a frustrating boss, but it's going to be a boss who needs Christ in his life. It's not going to be a frustrating coworker, a frustrating neighbor, or a frustrating relative. It's going to be somebody we know who needs Christ, and so we're going to respond that way. It's going to be something that God does in our hearts through his word, through his Holy Spirit, not something that we necessarily have to sit there going, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. It's going to be a renewal of our mind, transformation of our bodies. And we're going to, like the disciples, want to allow him to empower us and use us. So what happened in this case when the Holy Spirit empowered the disciples? Well, he gave them the ability to speak in the languages of those who had come to Jerusalem. And if you look at verses 5 through 6, now I have to go back to, back to my Bible here. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men, men from every nation under heaven, of course men and their families. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. You know, I, I often hear people when I'm talking about you know, sharing your faith, we need to be witnesses, God calls us to, to tell people about who Christ is. Usually what I hear back from people is, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to bring Christ into a conversation with people. I, I don't know how to get things started. And there's a lot of confusion, a lot of concern, a lot of, I can't, I can't, I can't. Well, Acts 2 gives us a real uh, dramatic demonstration of how the Holy Spirit gave the disciples the ability to speak other people's languages, literally speak their, their language. They didn't know these different languages. If you read the list later on in verse uh, 9, these people had languages you know, all the way from eastern Iran all the way to western Israel and a little bit past. These, this was a wide swath of people with a lot of different sounding languages. And we understand as we study out the history of the Old Testament, the Jews were scattered around the world previous to this. Some didn't come back to Israel when they could have. They stayed in those areas. They stayed in Egypt and Libya and Iran and Iraq. And they, they stayed there and they learned those languages. And when they came back to Israel, because they were devout, devout people, so they're going to celebrate um, this feast, they, you know, they might have known some Aramaic, but they didn't really know Hebrew and so God's Spirit, because the disciples were in a situation spiritually where they were connecting in with God and Christ, gave them the ability to speak those languages. It's, a, it's an incredible phenomenon. So Peter didn't know these people, but he knew about them. They knew, he knew how they thought. He knew they were devout, like I was saying, meaning they followed the Jewish religion religiously, if I can use that, um, that they traveled all the way to Jerusalem. He knew they were still looking for the Messiah. So, in his mind, I know Messiah has come, and we actually put him on a cross, and he rose from the dead. They came into Jerusalem looking, 
you know, again, anticipating someday down the road we're going to have this Messiah, this king, this one who's going to free us and going to set up his kingdom. So they're still there doing that. They might have heard some stories because they've been there right after Christ. It's only been like two months since Christ was put on the cross. So they might have heard some stories and their hearts were kind of thinking, wait, wait a second, did the Messiah really come? And Peter knew all this. And then the Holy Spirit gives them the power to begin to explain all that Christ had given them, and the Holy Spirit had given them understanding. If you read through Acts, and we're this chapter anyways, we're not going to read it. You can go home and read it. But Peter tells them that this coming, through the Holy Spirit, that this, the coming Messiah had already come. Their Messiah had come. Their king had come. The one who was going to free them had come. And then he takes Joel's prophecy, the Old Testament prophet Joel, his prophecy, and he takes King David's writings and Psalms, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he brings it together to give them the understanding of who Christ was, that he was God, and that he was supposed to come, which he had, and that he was going to die on the cross. So he explains all that. He says, hey, you guys, listen, the, whole, the, the, the Messiah has come. He's here. We put him on a cross. And again, the, the, the key point here is how the fact that the disciples had spent time with Christ, he taught them, the Holy Spirit gives them understanding, and then they're able to take what Christ has taught them and put it together into a cohesive message that makes sense to those that are listening to it. Now, I, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit is going to give us the ability to speak a language we don't already know, okay? So I'm, I'm not saying that here this morning. But what I am saying is the Holy Spirit, if we're spending time with Christ and he's renewing our mind and he's getting us ready because this is one of the major commands from Christ is to go share our faith, share Christ with people, he's going to give us the ability to speak the language of those in our lives. He's going to be able to help us understand where are, our, where are our friends coming from? What are some of the issues that our friends are dealing with? When they're talking to me, about some of the struggles in their lives, how do I take that struggle and how do I take God's word and put that together? Again, you got to be in the word because okay, so that's a key point. A lot of people want to be able to do this, talk to the person, but they haven't been with Christ. And so then they come to this person and go, no sé. I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't know how to help you. But had they been here with Christ, the Holy Spirit would have done his work and giving them what they need. What are some of the, uh, I'm going to wake you guys back up now, so get ready. What are some of the struggles that your friends, neighbors, coworkers, people that you interact with, what are some of the, the common everyday struggles that you end up talking to them about? Finances, okay. Relationships, so it could be marriage relationships, maybe their kids, maybe uh, larger family issues. Okay, what else? Health. health. Okay, all right, health. One of the big ones we see nowadays is, uh, you know, addictions, depression. Um, depression seems to be become, becoming more and more of an issue in, in people's lives. So let me just give you some quick ways to bring this to their attention. So let's say it's a marriage issue. They're talking to you about marriage. So you say, you know, listen, 
Maybe you've had some marriage issues. All right? So you're like, I don't know why I went through all that. Well, here's one reason. For you to say to them, you know, listen, I had some marriage issues in my life. You don't have to get into detail. I've had some marriage issues in my life. And you know what brought me through was my relationship with Christ. You know, and God talks about marriage in the Bible. And then you take them maybe to some passages or you tell them in kind of in paraphrase form what that is and then offer, hey, you want to get together sometime? We could talk about this. It'll blow them away. Nobody cares about them like that. It'll blow them away so much they'll be like, oh, no, 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 I appreciate that, thanks. But what that does is it gives you an opportunity a week or two later and say, hey, listen, just want to let you know, I've been praying for you in your whole marriage thing or whatever the relationship thing is. And uh, just want to let you know I've been praying. How are things going? Well, you know, this, that, and the other thing. You know, I'm still offering to get together with you. Or, listen, another thing is my pastor does free counseling. You know, and he's always told us, if you want, you know, if you want the pastor to be able to do some counseling with you, I'll even go with you if you want. It's that kind of interaction. You, you know, again, I talk to people who have depression a lot, and I, I've dealt with it in my own life. It's kind of a family thing. And, uh, you know, David, King David, talks a lot about depression in the Psalms. Now, if you're in the Word, you'll know that. If you're not in the Word on a regular basis, you won't know that. I'm telling you this morning, so you know, it's in there. The whole idea that, that King David, of all people, dealt with depression and, and how he dealt with it and what he did with it and where he focused his heart and his mind. So as we had these conversations, we need to be able to go in and say, hey, listen, you know, I deal with it or, you know, I know God's word speaks to this a little bit and, you're, and, and you know, I can show you where those things are at, whatever it is. And I guarantee you, if you're in the word and you're allowing the Holy Spirit to teach you, those situations are going to come your way and you're going to surprise yourself because you're going to blurt out, I can help you with that. And they'll be like, what? <laughs> I mean, sorry. Do you know that God, you'll bring it up, you'll, you'll share it because you're going to want to because now you're invested in that person's life and you want them to know Christ. So you're going to be wanting to do that. My worst days of going to work, I always try to put into my mind, not, not as a pastor, when I was, for those who don't know, I spent four years out in Colorado doing facility management. Um, but the days when I went to work and I just thought, oh, here we go again, more toilets, you know, I got to deal with this, that, and the other, the teachers are the way they are, blah, blah, blah. To get my mind focused back on what Christ would be focused on, that is a spiritual impact that I could make in people's lives. That's what brought purpose back and excitement and energy back. I'm out of my notes. I don't know where I'm at. Sorry, Carl. I'm going to try to get back on track here. Um, okay, so the Holy Spirit will bring back to remember it's all that Jesus teaches us. See, this is where I get excited and I need to stay close to my notes because I have a tendency to take off. All right, where am I? All right. So look what Luke tells us happens then after the Holy Spirit empowered Peter to bring God's word into the lives of these who needed Christ. And it's all the way down in chapter 2, verse 37. We're going to read 37 and 38. So again, Peter now has this understanding. He's able to take God's word, put it together in a cohesive message. He shares it to those who need Christ, these 
uh, Jews from all over the world. He does it in their own language. It says, now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now this is literally the Holy Spirit is the gift. So when they've repented, they receive God's Spirit. That's that baptism of the Holy Spirit, one time indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we see from here, is going to give us the power to lead people to repentance. Remember, Jesus kind of was using this as his message, or message of repentance. So when the people realized their sin, and the sin was actually back in 36, it kind of summarizes it all, where to let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Their immediate sin, their, what screwed them up, was the fact that they, were, they missed who Jesus was. And so he's saying, hey, Jesus has come. He is the Messiah. We put him on a cross, and they caught that. They got that. They realized, oh, we have been waiting for him, and we missed his arrival and so then they said, they there pierced through their heart. It went to the heart of who they were. Who was it, do you think, that gave them that understanding? Who was it that took that message and pierced them to their heart to give them understanding they needed to repent? We're in church, so one fast answer would be God. You know, a second fast answer would be Jesus. The correct answer would be the Holy Spirit. So look back uh, to John 16. Again, let's just, we'll just look it up on the screen rather than climb back there. So this is Jesus talking back in John 16. All right, and he, John 14, 15, 16, Jesus is kind of ending up his earthly ministry. He's telling them all about what's going to happen and how that's going to impact them and the fact he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And he says this, But I tell you the truth, it is for, uh, to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And he, the helper, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. That's a, another way of the gospel being presented so John's telling us, Jesus is telling us, John's writing it down, that it's going to be the Holy Spirit who brings that person to their understanding and conviction of their sin. So I don't have to sit there and point out people's sin. I don't know about you, but that takes a load off my mind. You know, I can, I can have a conversation with somebody, and they can be telling me everything that's going on in their life and all the things that they're doing, and I know Bible, the Bible calls that sin, but I don't need to sit there and go, sin, 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 that's sin too, that's sin too. I don't, I don't have to do that. Because the Holy Spirit is going to be working that in their hearts. We have to explain the fact that we're separated from God because of our sin, but the Holy Spirit's going to be one who break, makes that understandable. We simply bring Jesus into their struggle. We simply walk in to their frustration, to their struggle, to the issue, to whatever is on their mind. 
And we walk in and we bring Christ with us. We let him do his work. And when they understand that, they're going to ask, just like these people did. They were pierced, pierced their heart. What shall we do? And Peter says, you need to repent. You need to turn 180 degrees. Repenting is, I'm walking this way. And again, I love having this cross up here. I'm walking this way. I'm doing life my own way. I'm thinking I got everything figured out. I, I'm thinking even my religion is a good religion. And Blah, 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 blah. You need to repent. You need to turn from that. You need to turn to Christ. 180 degrees and see that Jesus Christ is God. That's what he's telling them. Jesus Christ is God, and Jesus Christ came as your Messiah to free you, to free you from your sin, to have a relationship with you, and you turn to Christ. You turn 180 degrees. Now, I need to jump down a street view real quick, and I'm not going to get into this other than to say this. Peter is not saying that you need to have repentance and baptism to be saved. There are some who teach that. That's not what Scripture teaches as you go through the entire New Testament. If you read through the entire New Testament, including Peter himself, like in Acts 3.19, he says, repent and return. There's no mention of baptism. <clears throat> if you read the rest of the New Testament, different authors, Paul says that salvation is a, a work of God in our lives through our faith in Christ, not because of any good works we would do. Well, baptism would be a good work. So it's not that. Now, baptism is a step of obedience once we come to Christ. It's one of the things that we do once we come to Christ, that we need to be baptized. But again, Peter's not saying that. And eventually, those that we've been praying for, talking to, they're going to come to us and they're going to say, I want what you got. I, I want whatever it was that you had that took you through this whole Jesus thing. What is that? I, I, tell me about it. Help me to know. And this is where... <laughs> This is where your mouth and your hands switch places. Your mouth goes dry, and your hands become sweaty, all right? And you're like, oh, Pastor Harold said this was going to happen. I'm Listen, it still happens to me. I've had the privilege of leading a bunch of people to the Lord over the years, it's, it, and it's a great experience. Um, and it, <laughs> it still happens to me. I'm like, okay, don't screw this up, Harold. Don't screw this up. Well, the cool thing is that we don't have to worry um, because, number one, we already know, if we've put our faith in Christ, we already know the, the very simple steps it means of giving your life to Christ. Secondly, we don't have to worry about it because the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to bring it to understanding, right? So even if we screw up a little bit, the Holy Spirit is going to correct that. You know, nice job, Harold. Let me do the work. Yeah. But here's a simple way you could do it. It's kind of the ABCs, okay? It's kind of how we put it, ABCs. So A, we just encourage them to admit you have sinned and separated for, and you're separated from God. This is very simple. You just say, you know, listen, you just need to admit that you're a sinner. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We've all screwed up. You know, if we, you know and if they know us, they know we screwed up, right? Uh, and if they know me, they know I've screwed up. Okay, I'll just take it. I'll take it. So admit that you've sinned and separated from God. Do you, do you see that you're a sinner? Yeah, yeah, I, I see. I understand that I'm a sinner. B, believe Jesus is God and died in your place. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Yeah, yeah, I do. Do you believe that when he died on the cross, he died in your place? Like an eternal death for you. 
Do you believe that? Tell me a little bit more about that. And then proceed to tell him a little bit more what that means. And then you say, you getting it? Yeah, I think I'm getting it. All right. Then C, confess. Agree with God. That's what confessing means. You just agree with God that I'm separated, that I need him. I need his forgiveness. And just, so all you need to do is just tell that to God. Now, if you want, I can, you know, talking to God is we call prayer. It's, you know, it's just talking to God, your heart to his heart. And, and so we normally, when you get a gift, you kind of give, you know, you say thank you. So we talk to people. So we talk to God. So just tell God that. If you want, I can lead you in a, in a real quick prayer, you know, talking to God to kind of take you through the steps if you want. And they say, yeah, lead me. And so you lead them, and then they pray it. It's not the prayer that saves them, it's, it's the fact that their heart understands and that they know they need a Savior. And they pray that prayer, and they've given their life to Christ. The cool thing is that all of that is a work of God's Spirit. Working first in you, then giving you the strength and the power and the words to say, and then working in that person's heart, and for them coming to the realization and asking for help. And then you leading them. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to want to do that as you spend time in His Word and allow His Holy Spirit to teach you, because God's Word is going to renew your mind, and it's going to begin to transform your, your life. It happens those who are on uh, Thursday nights, we talk about Philippians. And Philippians 1.6, I think, it says that, uh, uh, maybe I should ask you guys, Philippians 1.6, what does it say? God will complete the work in you that he began. Yeah. Wow. Well, as we close, let's notice how this thing comes full circle. Look at verse... What am I looking at here? Verse 41. It says that, So then, those who had received his word, in other words, those who had received it, believed it, repented, were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. you imagine that baptismal thing going on there? There's 120 disciples at this point, right? So I did a little figuring, and 120, or 3,000 divided by 120, I think it was like 25. So they had to go find some water, and each one of those people had to baptize some, you know, 25 people. And uh, yeah, pretty cool. Long day. Sore back. Um, they were continually, here we go, they were 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Where do we hear, hear that word before, devoting? Back in Luke 1, right? Devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to breaking of bread, some would say communion, in other words, remembering Christ's death on the cross, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all as anyone may have need. It's just a cool picture, isn't it? Now, they weren't selling their possessions and just giving it out haphazardly, okay? <laughs> they were selling their possessions, and the, the church was taking care of the church, taking care of people, this new started church. 
day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those other than the 3,000 who were being saved. So at the beginning of this, Luke 1, we see that the disciples were doing what? They were devoting themselves to prayer, devoting themselves to worship, devoting themselves to the things that Jesus had taught them. Then through that, the Holy Spirit was able to empower them and give them what needed to be said to see people come to Christ. Those people, 3,000 of them, come to Christ. Now obviously some of them take off and head back to their hometowns. You know, we get that. We'll be talking more about that. But a large number of them end up there in Jerusalem in the temple devoting themselves to all that the apostles who they heard from Jesus who were empowered by the Holy Spirit to give understanding to teach these people. Then they got into the understanding of it. Holy Spirit empowered them to understand and they went out and more people were coming to Christ because of it. It's not a vicious circle, it's a righteous circle, it's a great circle. It wasn't just the 3,000, but it was others each and every day after that. So if you take 3,000, let's just say half of those people introduce another person to Christ, that'd give us 4,500. If half of those were effective witnesses, it would increase the number to 6,750. That's pretty effective, let's just say in two years. Now, if you've received Christ here this morning and, and you've encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ and you're spending time in his word and God in his spirit is giving you the understanding that he wants to give you from his word, and let's just say, let's just say all of us are, but half of us follow through with this. I don't even know how many we have. How many we have this morning, Carter? Two? How many? 72. Okay, so let's say 70 because it's getting too hard to math. So 70, 35. So 70 plus 35 is 105. And then half of 105 is 52.5. It's a little kid. Well, I'll let you do the math. You write it down, take it home, meditate on it. What I'm saying is when we put ourselves in a place where we can encounter the resurrected Christ, when we spend time in his word, and we allow that to change the way we think and how we operate and the way we view things, God's spirit then empowers us and puts it all together for us in order for us to step forward to become witnesses of Christ, to do that which Christ commanded all of his disciples, all of his followers to do. And there's no need to fear because it's going to be something that God does in us and through us if we're just willing to take that step of faith and let him do that. And I'll guarantee you, you will never, ever, ever regret that step of faith, especially as you see people around you coming to Christ. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we've covered a lot of information this morning, and um, 
it's kind of a dreary day, and so our hearts and our minds might be a little foggy. And, um, but Lord, I, I pray that you would be faithful to your word, and I pray that you would honor us um, and, and bring to our hearts and our minds those, first of all, in our life that you want us to connect with, that, um, that we would spend the time with you that we need to in your word, both here at church and in our own lives at home, that we would begin to see how our thinking is changing and how our, um, our minds are, are changing and begin to see where our lives are changing and how we're deciding, making different decisions in our own life. And then, Lord, that you would give us the words to say to those who need you in our lives. That we'll continue to see the resurrection of Christ go viral into our world, see people's eternity changed, see people have that relationship with you that they don't so desperately need, not just for eternity's sake, which we're grateful for, but Lord, even in this life, to get through this life that we have. Lord, I'm, I know that as you do that, we're going to give you the praise and the glory because you're worthy of it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us. Have a great week. And grab some more coffee and iced tea on your way out.